Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host today, Rodney Hu, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Miss Elizabeth Bowman. She is the VP of Client Strategy at December Labs, a high-touch design and development firm for mobile and web products that are the front line of innovation. She drives December Labs' expansion strategy and accompanies up-and-coming startups and enterprise companies towards scalable and continuous growth making her a sought-out speaker from key industry events such as CES to deep dive workshops. So with that being said, I'm excited to have her on and learn a little bit more about her journey and give her an opportunity to share what they're doing over at December Labs. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rodney, for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Why don't we just jump into it? We give people a brief background of who you are and how you got into this industry, this space. Sure. And it's actually an interesting question because some people might have planned to be where they're at long term ahead, long time ahead. In my case, that was not really that way. I'm originally German, born and raised and started out my professional life actually with a master of economics and then pivoted to digital marketing, which in my case, it had something to do with what I was specializing in economics, which was behavioral economics, which really goes, you know, in depth into the psychology of people and, and how you really have to consider how humans behave when you are planning economic models. So again, moved over to digital marketing and fast forward 10 years, I was leading a digital marketing agency, mostly working for the US Hispanic market, but felt that we weren't, we were building brands, but we weren't building something like more tangible products in a way. So that's where, when I pivoted into tech, which a few years back, which has been really rewarding and where I've been able, again, on the kind of like strategy, strategic side to really bring in all that background knowledge that I've had to always really center on the consumer and trying to find the reason why we're building something. And so almost accidentally, that really brought me into health tech. And because at December Labs, we have really like ever since the very beginning, and the company has been around since 2014, we have just been working mostly in the health space. And I think that's really significant because it mirrors all the innovation that's going on in the health tech space, which is really amazing and challenging and exciting. And I think one of the things that happens there is that when you work in health tech, you really have to acquire a specific skill set through that kind of work because you have to build products that are HIPAA compliant, sometimes, you know, that need to go through FDA approval and so on. And we can dive into some of these topics a little later on. But yeah, I think once you really start having a footprint in the space, it's just natural that you expand on that. And so yeah, and as this has been really one of my favorite topics, because again, it allows me to combine all those different areas of skills sets that I've been able to acquire in the last few years. And on the other hand, typically you're building healthcare products to help people, to improve people's lives, to solve for a specific problem that just goes beyond, for example, an entertainment app or so. So I think besides kind of the professional aspect of it, I think there's also a personal, personally a motivational um, point of view from my end of just really being very excited to, yeah, having the opportunity to be working in this space. Awesome. Awesome. And so when people hear like web and mobile design 
and development. I feel like the first thing that comes to the mind is they're thinking about just like websites or like apps and stuff like that. But I feel like what you do is a little bit more complex and a little bit more detailed from just checking out a website. So can you explain (laughs) a little bit more as the value and who you help? Sure, sure. Uh, and I think you're totally right. Our first maybe distinguisher there is that we build a custom software development, meaning that we typically don't just use off-the-shelf solutions or build, I don't know, WordPress websites. Really, it goes a lot beyond that. Our, we have today a team of a little over 80 professionals. Uh, as far as our development team, it's about half split into mobile development and half into web development. And that's already where you have the first differentiation. On the one hand, when it comes to mobile development, we build native and hybrid mobile apps that you use on your cell phone, of course. And then regarding the web platforms, you might have anything from progressive web apps and mobile responsive websites, but also oftentimes very custom, almost software as a service development platforms that, for example, in the health space can help you manage patient data, any accounting services that are related to billing and administering your patients. It's really broad and just goes a lot beyond what you would just initially think think about when it comes to websites. It's really like sophisticated software solutions um, that can oftentimes help you run a business. Awesome. And so with the ideal people and that you're looking to help, what stage would they be at before you should start to focus on improving your UX and your UI? Like (laughs) how established do you need to be before you even start to prioritize those kind of tasks? Sure. I think overall, we have been able to, on the one hand, work with big enterprise companies such as Google, Accenture, the Inter-American Development Bank, or kind of software companies such as Brain FM. But we have also worked with a lot of startups in the space. And sometimes it's been really from building the initial product up to already more established startups um, that have already gone through several um, rounds of funding. And really depending on where you are at will depend on how we can help. When you're really at the early stages, the kind of moment when we can come into the equation is when you have at least some kind of product requirement document. You do have to just have your idea fleshed out beyond this just being an idea. You do have to have uh, have done some research, um, validated that you are really onto something because uh, let's face it, there are a lot of statistics out there that say that 90% of all startups fail. And although we will try to do our best in making sure that you are building not just the right product, but you're building your product the right way. Still, it always starts out with the individual entrepreneur and the initial research. So going back to this again, the initial product requirements document that just fleshes out the entire idea, features, and there's of course different levels. The more sophisticated, of course, always the better for us to be able to estimate anything you'd like us to build or work on, but we can also guide you throughout that process. Or in case you're really early stage and you would even need help with that, we can also do that. But again, it depends on what you're looking for. Then the other thing that is very important is that until you really visualize what you're trying to build, again, it will be hard, for example, to get different development quotes that you can actually compare with each other. So sometimes people come to us and they already have a set of wireframes or even the entire designs, or uh, they ask us to do that, which you know we, we do with pleasure. But really having that final design, which we then convert oftentimes in like clickable prototypes so that you can play around with it or even do some user testing with it, that's really when you can 
get a good idea of what this is going to be like in development. And I always emphasize a lot on that because people are like, hey, I don't have the design yet. And I just really want to get an idea of what everything is going to cost me. And we can typically provide some ballpark numbers on that. But it is really hard because sometimes a small design decision on just one screen might add another week of development. And if you're not making a conscious decision about that, then from your initial plan to having the final design, again, things might change a lot. So yeah, that, that's typically what we start out with. The other thing that is important to consider, especially in the beginning, is a user validation in general. And we have a very strong UX research team. Uh, UX stands for user experience that can work with you in validating those all those different stages of building your design. Because the design is really not just the visuals, the final end product, but it's really something that's been built in stages. First, you build the information architecture, then you go towards lo-fi wireframes, hi-fi wireframes. In the middle, you might be looking to build out personas that mirror the users that you're going to have. So during all these different steps of the design process, it's possible to test and validate um, this process with actual users, which could be people from your environment, but we can also do user sourcing and actually then test this with, with the sample crowd there. But it is something that we oftentimes recommend just spending a little bit more on in the beginning because the development cost is really going to be the bulk of what you're going to spend on any tech product. If you are in the middle of the development and you realize that some of the features you've mapped out are not really that usable or you get some feedback that makes you go into different directions, that's when it's going to get expensive. But if you detect these things early on during the design phase, then you'll probably be off to a greater start of getting into development and the final thing here, we have had several clients that actually with that final prototype that I mentioned, clicking through the different design screens, that has oftentimes helped them, for example, in getting funding. Because if you're talking to investors, it's so much more feasible to show them a preview of what you're trying to build, ideally already with some results of user testing, because that will really show them that you're onto something as far as the overall idea. Oh, okay. Awesome. It's a very value-packed answer. You give a real like holistic view of the entire process. And you definitely can see that there's stages that you have to go through. It's not just A right. to Z. Like You have to work your way through and do the due diligence and the quality assurance. And when you're working with all these companies and you're going through that process with them, is there any sort of like recurring problem or trending problem that you notice with these companies as far as their need and mm-hmm. actually needing to focus on website design? What is like mm-hmm. the, one of the common problems they're facing? I think on the one hand, sometimes companies, entrepreneurs, founders are just thinking too big in the sense of they um, really want to build a platform, a mobile app that's packed full of different features. And why it's great to have an idea of where this could grow Really, for us, it's very important to start at the essence. Like, what is really the main feature that is going to solve for a specific user problem? Because if you really focus on that, then you're probably going to do the best job and you can really work in phases. You can, like, uh, not just build something huge from the beginning that, again, might fail, 
but really start small is definitely something that we educate a lot on in general. Then, and we're talking here, of course, about health tech in general. It is very important to also start early on talking about what the kind of platform that you might be wanting to build in the health space might require. Again, as far as HIPAA compliance, are you going to manage personal health information from patients? What does that mean? Do you have any third-party integrations? Because let's face it, when you have, whenever you work with a third party, this could be for payments, for any kind of thing that you want to integrate with. What about their, like, are they HIPAA compliant? That's something that you, for example, have to check on. Or can you, for example, have all the third party services under AWS who do offer HIPAA compliance and you combine the risk in just one, in, in, in just one provider? And again, I don't want to get too technical here, but there are many things that we oftentimes advise early healthcare startups on based on our experience and to also walk through that path of building a health tech product efficiently because you don't always have to do and account for everything from the start, but knowing where you're going to bring this product to eventually is something important as far as like building out the entire process, documentation. For example, oftentimes healthcare products have a wearable to integrate with. So is that wearable or that smart device going to uh, like going to have to go through FDA approval? What does that mean? Do you maybe need a different kind of quality assurance process when you're doing the development? Because if you're going to present this to the FDA later on, you might have to show for that. So these are really the kind of things that sometimes early stage healthcare startups are not that aware of. And yeah, and that we're just always happy to help as far as our experience and best practices. Awesome. So you're working with these startups. Ideally, they have their ideas validated, but you really just take them through the process, help them flesh out their their ideas and visualize what it is that they actually want. So they have that vision. But not only is it just the design part, but you have to make sure that they're HIPAA compliant, they're following the rules and regulations Mm -hmm. for their industry. And also technology is not the easiest thing to learn overnight. So that's where you guys come in and you guys are like positioned as the solution for them. But if we were to take that a step further, like why would people like trust you guys really? So it's like, I was looking on your website and you guys have an awesome case study around, was it Celbrea? And so I wanted to give you kind of opportunity to talk about yeah. that and what you guys did with this project and what was the outcome of that? I'm sure. No, that's actually one of my favorite examples. I remember I, I I met with a co-founder a few years ago when we were, you know, just getting started and he told me the entire story behind how they came up with Celbrea. Basically, if, if you know a little bit about the statistics of breast cancer, breast cancer awareness, it is a topic that is very hard sometimes for women to approach, especially in the US. Even with the complicated healthcare system and people just oftentimes not doing preventative care, there's still so much uh, more to do. And Celbrea is like their approach is helping women to get closer to this topic and to be able to do a type of early detection as far as potential risk at their homes so that then they um, can get informed at their homes and share the data with their physician and being eased into that. So what is Celbrea? Celbrea is a patch that you can place on uh, your breast and that then through our mobile app and through heat sensors that this patch has, you can read if the heat went up in some of those areas. And that may give you an idea of if there could be an elevated risk for breast cancer or if you should get checked out. 
again, as for all of these kind of devices, it's not a hundred percent thing, but it can help you get a better idea of if you're a risk factor, because that's how typically cancer can be detected as well. It's just, it's heat accumulation in certain parts because of the cells. So the interesting thing is that marketing someone to women is something to women about breast cancer is not that easy. It's the topic that women feel sometimes uncomfortable with. So the idea here for um, the Celbrea app was to first and foremost focus on women's health in general. And there are, of course, today many things as far as, for example, the Apple Health Kit that you can integrate with and many other solutions, but really Celebrate takes a holistic approach to managing your menstrual cycle, to fertility, to just tracking how you're feeling overall on a monthly basis and how that varies. And then it naturally integrates that option of using the patch and obtaining this kind of data, potentially sharing this with your physician and so on. Yeah, it's again, I think it's one of those projects where everything really comes together. It is an exciting project from a tech point of view using augmented reality and really, really interesting and nice to use a mobile app, but it really goes so much more beyond that. And that's also a of the company there. Nice. So more, it's more than the technology, like you're saying, like the, has a deeper influence. And so when you think about what was the company that made the Celebrate? Celebrate Waste oh, okay. Medical, Miami-based company. Yes. Okay. So after you guys had taken on this project and created the app for them, like what, how, how can you measure that value? Like, how can you see that they're, you're helping your customer help their customer? So uh, the app is still to be launched as oftentimes with products that include some kind of hardware, things just take a lot longer than just building a regular app. But I hope um, things were, are going to be coming out this year. And one of the, one of the ultimate kind of values that Celebria envisions, and this is something that's not built yet into the app, but we hope to be able to do this in the future, is that actually by using a blockchain, patients will be able to share their their results of their their just initial kind of screenings with researchers all over the world. So the idea is again like to start with what's happening at for you personally at your home, but really trying to push forward research on this topic in general and through this accumulative data being able to yeah do your part by each and every one of us. Awesome. Awesome. And dang, I feel like you just understand every angle <laughs> to this entire project. So is that kind of now, like your role as the VP of client strategy? What, what's your specific role and responsibility? Yeah. First, uh, like of, oftentimes I'm one of the first people that you will talk to when reach out to December Labs. And really what I try to understand is what you're trying to build, ask all the questions that you might not have asked yourself just yet and see what really could be an efficient and effective way of leveraging our knowledge. And also, of course, checking if we're the right fit, because let's face it, there are many development companies out there and there are also a lot of Black sheep, I have to say, like it does happen oftentimes that people come to us with previous bad experiences uh, with development companies, either they didn't get all that they agreed to pay on, or the developers just disappeared, or they were just not happy with the quality. And yeah, it really depends on what you're looking for. What our clients have said, and it's really what, what I'm glad about, is that with us, you have 
a very good combination kind of of pricing, but also of velocity and overall seniority. Because one thing, because many people just look at the pricing, like what's your hourly rate, for example. But really the question is, what can you do within that hour? And how equipped is your team? And especially when you're building a healthcare app or software, the more experience the developer already has in the specific field, really the more efficient you'll be able to work. So for example, when we did our first HIPAA compliant project several years ago, our developers actually went through HIPAA compliant classes and got trained in that because there is a difference of just reading through potential processes online and actually having received training for that. So that's why naturally anything within the health space. And when I say health, it's the health, wellness, fitness, well-being space, because it's not just necessarily medical, but also related to that. It's really come natural for us. And just because there's a lot of value, I think we can provide that's more strategic. That doesn't, that goes beyond just, hey, okay, I can estimate this. And this is going to be this and this many weeks for this kind of pricing. And we're going to build it and done with it. The other thing is that For us, really, we always, whenever possible, we look towards building with companies that are in that 10% of startups that make it, that go beyond just building that initial MVP, that initial minimum viable product. So that's really, yeah, like our gamble in that sense. We, We want our clients to be successful. And the best cases are where we really build long lasting relationships and where we don't just help them build their initial product, but also then continue to strategize on what's next. Uh, How can we make this better? How can we adapt to a certain tendency in the markets? Initially, maybe you didn't have integration with Apple Health and Google Fit. Well, maybe now it it does make sense. Or maybe there is a wearable in the future that you want to integrate with or a different type of platform. Or for example... One client of ours, Biostrap, is a prosumer Fitbit wristband and shoe pod for the people that like to do sports, but just want to get more sophisticated and comprehensive metrics. They, for example, have partnered with an Austin-based company called VV Health, which helps people after the addiction process of like when they they might have had an alcohol problem and are going now in the to a clinic and are within recovery. They can use the Biostraps at their homes to track their health data and that data is being shared with the with the doctors that can then better monetize their patients uh, in addition to other integrations with for example an alcohol limiter just so that you can also of course make sure that the doctor can make sure that you are actually not having any relapses but that's just the beauty of really working so much in the space and also seeing how certain products can get different applications again from a fitness wearable to helping people from rec- like recover from addiction so yeah, uh, really passionate about this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And I've never really understood like, other than just website design and how to <laughs> apply just these basic tactics and really help a company. And so when you're thinking of it that way, like you, you start to think of before and after, like how is like your usual, your average customer before, like what is their current state and what is there after? What is that transformation that December Labs takes them through to help position them for success? Oftentimes, it, it really comes down to building their product in the best and user-centric way uh, possible. But also sometimes we work with startups that might have one or two in-house developers 
and that might want to scale up their team because they do know that they need some extra muscle, but they can't just commit to hiring other full-time resources. So then we integrate naturally with their team and just help them add velocity, efficiency, and overall product outcome there. It, it really depends. On the other hand, oftentimes, and we talked a little bit in, initially about the UX and the, important, uh, the importance of uh, certain decisions as far as how you're building the product. It actually has happened a lot that clients come to us with an already existing prototype or MVP they might have built with someone else. And then we get into the picture and really help them optimize what they've built already and validate this with users, for example. One thing that is important always is to understand who you're really building this for. So another you know, company that we work with is Alligrid. I, th- I believe that they're also um, based out of Austin and it's a smart pillbox that you then control via our mobile app. And for example, you um, might be in your 30s, 40s, 50s, but also older, and you have a lot of pills to take or have some kind of a chronic disease. And it helps you set up reminders, uh, make sure that you take the right medication. But it can also, for example, notify your grandson, hey, like your granny actually took her medication or she didn't. And so you should check on her and things like that. And so in those cases, for example, it's very important to understand who might be using this app. Might it be someone elderly? Are there certain things as far as accessibility of the mobile app that you have to take under consideration. And I'm not just talking about the size of a copy, but just overall, like sometimes navigation has to be just a lot more simple and has to be very straightforward and not everything has to be shiny and colorful. Like sometimes it's really about understanding who you're building this for and doing that accordingly. So oftentimes when a product has already been built, we come in at first with kind of a UX consultation and we take it apart and look at what can be improved and where there might be certain opportunities of just enhancing user flows and making things better. And that's also where I think that my background from marketing comes in very handy because marketing, A-B testing and just improving things for performance is so natural. It's been around since like forever. But in software, actually just I think in 2014 or so, searches for UX and software have started to spike up on Google search. So it's just so much more recent. And I just love how I can take some of the learnings from working so long in digital marketing to software because it's really all about the user and providing the best possible experience. Awesome. Yes. Because you mentioned knowing like who you're building the application for. Exactly. And so when I hear that, I'm thinking about like beginning with the end in mind. And so that's a, (laughs) that's a good way to approach it. And another question I have is what sort of, what other advice would you have for companies, whether they're startups or whatnot, and they're looking to deploy some sort of digital solution for their company? Mm-hmm. And what should I be thinking all, about? Yeah. First of all, really do your research and make sure that you are really onto something. And it sounds easy, but again, so many startups fail. There are so many things already out there. And it does happen sometimes that someone reaches out and we ask, hey, is something similar to what you're building already on the market? They say, no, this is really unique. I haven't seen anything. And we do a little research and then we find something that kind of solves for this problem already. And you really have to like try to make sure that you're onto something. And sometimes it is your idea might be combining different things that are already out there, but connecting them in a way that is currently not possible. It really depends The other thing is that most of the times entrepreneurs come up with ideas because of things that have happened to them or in their environment, friends and family. And while on the one hand, that's great because 
uh, that means that you've either seen someone or have personally gone through this user journey and have detected a problem that you will try to solve for other people. But everyone is different. Just because something has happened to you or someone close to you, you still have to validate if that has also happened to other people or if your solution might also be of help for other people. So really like doing that due diligence when it comes to initial research, making sure there's also many incubator programs that can help you just ask all those questions and they might be presenting you with different advisors of different areas. I, th I think that's just so important before to do that before you actually start investing money. Like sometimes I have people that have an initial idea and they've already paid for lawyers to set up NDAs and things because of all the people that they're going to speak to. And sometimes I'm like, but you haven't even validated your idea. First, just do that before you even start spending some money. And also understand that one thing is building your product, but a software product, it, like it doesn't really end by publishing it to the app stores, for example, in case of mobile apps, like there is a maintenance to consider. And that like, on the one hand, that maintenance is just for iOS updates, for example, there might be a new update and, uh, and it will, it might affect some of the functionalities that you have. And so you have to invest a little money to make your app compliant to that. But it might also be that you have to reinvent the wheel because other companies are also going to come up with different products. So maybe you have today something that's really useful, but maybe next year Apple comes up with something and everyone is going to switch to that because it's already natively on their phone. So you might have to pivot. And you do have to think about that, that it's not just, hey, I'm going to build one software product and I'm done. You have to think about it in the long run, same as you would with marketing. I would never say spend your entire budget just into the software development, because then how are you going to market it? And there's different rules for that, like the 2080 rule as far as percentage or others, but really think about this as an entire business and, and yeah, and do your due diligence. Awesome. Yeah. Just looking at it from a macro point of view, so you can understand every piece of the puzzle, what needs to go where, what needs to happen when. I think that's a great exactly. way to end today's episode. But before we do, I like to end each episode on a little lighter note with an exercise I like to call the rapid fire round. So I'm going to oh. just ask you a couple questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So question number one. What is your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time. That's a good question. I, I, like the, the reason why this is not that easy for me is that I typically read in German, in Spanish and in English. And I really <laughs> have to go through like my personal library there oh um, of, yeah, of really thinking about this. I think I might not necessarily have a favorite book, but I really have always enjoyed certain, like a certain German author called who has written The Never Ending Story, but also a lot of other books that might not be internationally that, that, that well known. And it's just something like when I think about reading books today, of course, I read a lot of, yeah, just like professional literature or biographies and things like that. But I really like when I think about reading, like in the moment that I most enjoyed it, I think it was when I was little and I was just reading like 13 books sometimes per week, <laughs> spent all my time at the library. So yeah, I think that's like where nostalgically I would think about as far as favorite books. That was a long answer. So sorry for that. <laughs> no worries. That's interesting. Three different languages you could read. Wow. Yeah. All right. Number two, who is the most influential person in your life or career? Wow. Those are diff difficult. I think 
one very important person that I had was my previous boss. It was the first time that I had a female boss, I have to say, because uh, in the tech space, of course, it's very male driven. And even in the digital marketing space, although there are many women, it's not necessarily always women on the top. And working with her, she used to be um, the CEO of MTV Latin America during the 90s when MTV was really huge. She, she was the CEO of many companies in the advertising space in the early 2000s. And I think it was just a different kind of coaching, complementary to everything else that I have had in the past that, yeah, really resonated there with me and which I think really shaped me. She was also originally a lawyer and really had this analytical type of thinking that I think I apply with every email that I send, with everything I do, really. Yeah, I think especially on a professional level, that was definitely a game changer for me. Thanks, Antoinette. <laughs> awesome. Shout out to Miss Antoinette. <laughs> uh, number three. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? This year, I have many goals, I think. I think something, well, something personal is that I actually used the pandemic to record our first album with my band, which is a dream pop band. And people are might not be watching us here, but uh, yeah, you might see a lot of instruments here in the background <laughs> of my room. So yeah, my kind of creative outlet after talking about tech all day is doing music. And actually our first single just came out two days ago. And uh, yeah, I'm looking towards the album album release at the middle of the year um, that on a personal level and then on a professional level I really hope that at some point I'll be able to have face-to-face -face times again with some of the people that we work with it's just been yeah I think this is not an, such an uncommon goal in these times of a pandemic yeah. but we all make it work online and virtually remotely the best that we can that human connection of just on the one hand sharing moments like that with your co-workers but also for me it's always great to meet with the people that I actually work with on a daily basis in any state really of the US. So I hope that maybe that might be possible again at some time this year. Damn, just getting to see people face to face, not like over a computer. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> like this is yeah. cool and it works effectively. I know. There's always know that exactly. personal I mean, touch. Make it work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, hey, send send a link to the single. I'll put that in the resources, <laughs> the show notes for you. <laughs> like yeah. Oh um, good. Wasn't here to promote the music, but if you talk <laughs> if you talk about goals, it is definitely something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's also something people oftentimes ask me, like, wouldn't you, for example, like to start a new company or things like that? But like I personal or build your own product. But really, I just truly enjoy building other people's products. I really get to speak to entrepreneurs with like great ideas every day. And that's so much fun because it's just you learn also so much from all the people that you work with and that you talk to and about their backgrounds. And as I just mentioned in the Celbria example, like these are things that you can even get really emotional about. I do have my personal creative outlet with my band. And so where I'm creating something, but like then on my day to day, I just really love to help others uh, creating their next best thing. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? I think really do what you did. I'm actually really like if I look backwards, I'm really happy about all the choices that I made. Wow, <laughs> and nice. and that is actually, yeah, I think something good. And of course, I would say sometimes travel a bit more or do this or do that. But really, um, yeah, I think I have been really lucky in, in working and living in two, three different continents and, and also pivoting sometimes from one space to the other of having worked with really great companies and clients. And yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> 
Man, that's awesome. I think it's the first time I've heard that answer before. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look at the glass half full sometimes also. it's uh, Of course, you could think about the nitty and gritty details that sometimes you feel, hey, I could have improved this or that. But really overall, yeah, I think the choices you make are also part of who you are. And if you've made them, then that has helped you make who you are today. Awesome. I think that's the perfect. I'm here today with you. (laughs) Exactly. Everything happens for a reason. Trust the process. If I would have done something different, butterfly effect, maybe you wouldn't be here today. (laughs) Trust the process. Enjoy the journey. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I feel like that's a good way to summarize up today's episode. Elizabeth, just want to thank you for coming on, sharing your journey and everything that you're doing in this space. But before we go, where can people um, connect with you personally or where can they learn a little bit more about December Labs? Go ahead. Sure. Of course, December lab, uh, DecemberLabs.com is our website. You can find anything from ideas of the projects that we work with. If you want to check out a little bit about how our process looks like, you can also um, listen to other podcasts <laughs> that, that we've been talking on different things, more on the design end or mobile development or just entrepreneurship in general. And feel free to just reach out and we can you know, have a virtual coffee. Also, please feel free to check uh, out or uh, look me up on LinkedIn. Again, especially in these times of pandemic, I'm having a lot of virtual coffees and uh, yeah, again, just makes my day speaking to many different people in the field and uh, see how you can connect. Awesome. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all the links in the resources section. But that being said, thank you again. That ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one. Peace.